0: This is Turner Mining Live, where we give you a behind-the-scenes look at how we're innovating to change the game and grow a business in an ancient but still booming industry. Hey guys, I'm Keaton Turner. You are tuned into episode two of the Turner Mining Live podcast. Thanks so much for joining us today. To my left, I've got the guy that keeps me out of trouble, or at least tries to anyway our Chief Operating Officer, Thomas Hahn. And I'm really excited about our guest today. Uh, The guy is a heavy equipment operating Jedi. He is the excavator application specialist at the most well-known heavy equipment brand in the world, on the planet, in the universe. Uh, And he's just a really good dude. Him and I have talked several times in the past. Um, But before I introduce him and bring him on, I've got to just say, man, we must be living right if we can get someone from Caterpillar on the second podcast that we've ever done. We still haven't even figured out what the heck we're doing. So super humbling, awesome to have you. Uh, But I got Ryan Neal from Caterpillar. How are you, Ryan? Good, sir. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for coming on and spending a little bit of time with us. Let's, Let's start with the beginning. Tell us who you are what you're doing. You obviously work for, you know, one of the biggest and and probably one of the most, one of the coolest companies on the planet. Who are you? What are you doing? Why did you come on the show today?
1: Sure. Yeah, I'd love to. So yeah, again, uh, Ryan Neal. Um, I work for Caterpillar. I am currently a product application specialist covering North America. It's kind of a wide variety of what we do. We help create marketing content. Um, We do uh, work with customers. We're kind of a liaison between the dealer and the product group. Um, and, you know, we're constantly giving what we call VOC voice of customer back to the product group. That's one of the biggest things we do is like, you know, like you said, we've talked several times. I, I take that information that I hear from you guys and that we hear from our dealers and customers and I feed that back to the product group. And hopefully the, and, and the goal is to create a better product on your guys' needs and wants and, and features. and Amongst a whole slew of other things, that's, that's basically uh, what we do there at CAT. I have a co-worker, so two of us cover uh, all of North America, uh, but it's, it's honestly, it's a it's a good job. I, I truly do enjoy it. Being from the industry previously uh, makes me enjoy it more. I, I was previously a local operator here in Central Illinois, ran excavators and dozers and loaders and all that good stuff in the, in the construction world, not the mining world, but uh, so fed my family uh, digging ditches, and so I understand uh, the pains and the groans uh, that, that you all folks have out there today.
0: Well, we talked about on, on the first show, you know, all of the, uh, the headaches, heartburn, hard times, tears, blood, all that that goes into this business. Sounds like you've lived through some of them. So, I mean, tell me, where did you go to school? I think I know the answer. Where did you go to college? How did you get
1: on with Caterpillar? Yeah, it's a good question. It's been a fun story. So in high school, I worked for my cousin in the summers who owned an uh, excavation business, and I enjoyed it. I uh, didn't have any intention of doing that, but as a, as a becoming a senior in high school, not real certain what I wanted to do. Uh, I enrolled into our local junior college here in Central Illinois, and I, I was determined that I decided I wanted to be a landscape architect. And so I started on that career path in the, in the time I'm still doing construction work I started to make good money and you know this is not a union non-union discussion but like my cousin uh, we we went union in that meantime and so money started getting pretty good I had a good grasp on construction what we were doing Uh, we were a very small company and we did absolutely everything from digging foundations to digging graves to tearing down houses to field work tile work you name it in a small town of 1,200 people I uh, ended up doing a lot. So we did that and work started to become more of a priority over school. I was, my paychecks were getting bigger and he encouraged me to stay in school. Uh, and I chose not to do that. So I, I ended up uh, dropping out of college and went and worked for him full time. And I was a ground guy. Uh, almost a large part of that time I was a laborer. And so I learned how to read grade stakes, how to put grade stakes in. Using lasers, using levels, uh, tight peeps, just the whole, whole bottom trench guy, everything. So I think that was a huge part of me becoming a better operator quicker. And so knowing what the guy on the ground needs while you're sitting in the seat makes everybody's day go a lot easier and a lot better. It makes you more proficient and, and in the long run, you just get things done quicker.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So
1: then, um, yeah, and then, He got slow on work, and there was a larger contractor here in our area uh, start excavating. They're fairly good-sized contractor around uh, Central Illinois here, and I went and worked for them, and I was there all the way till I went to Caterpillar, and pretty much did subdivision work, road work. Then I went into the sewer crew and water crew. Then uh, most of my career there at that contractor in an excavator and a track loader working batch plants with rain days and whatnot. And my father, at the time, um, owned his own business. He's a graphic illustration design. Uh, so I went total left field from what he does. And Caterpillar was one of his contracts. And he had heard of this place, he had taken some photos of some tractors at the Edwards Demonstration Learning Center. And I had never heard of it. I had heard of the Proving Grounds which Owen felt like every large OEM has a proving grounds, but this was, this is a very, very different facility. He said, you'd love it. It'd be great. If you can go see it. And I had a rain day, he arranged for me to go see this place. And it was crazy. You know, I'm used to seeing D sixes at the biggest D eights every now and then and you walk in and there's D 11 and triple seven trucks, nine nine two loaders. It's just kind of crazy. And I said, you know, how, how does a guy get a job here? They're very strict requirements. Uh, you got to have at least 10 years operating experience, real world, and you got to be proficient on several machines. And long story short, I put a resume in, didn't hear anything for close to 10 months. And then, uh, I got a phone call said, hey, we, we'd like to interview you and went in and, and the rest is history. And so I've been at CAT since then. I was a senior demonstrator instructor. Traveled all over the world several times doing an operator training and all kinds of neat amazing things uh, for for the company it was a it's been a pretty wild ride coming from a farm in a little town of 1200 people to traveling the world seeing things that I've never managed to see before it's, it's it's been a pretty wild ride
0: well and and you know i think the craziest thing is that the cat logo has has transcended uh, generations, um, c- different countries. I mean, there's, you know, I follow uh, cat apparel and there's uh, folks in other countries think of cat apparel as kind of a luxury item. It, it is. Uh, so it's, it's a, it's an, a really interesting brand, what they've done, uh, in really not a, when you, when you look at, you know, how long, um, you know, the country and other countries have been around cats, not that old of a brand. Yep. Um, it's super interesting, but go back. Cause there's a couple things that I heard that are a little bit surprising. So, Cat required 10 years experience, and you also said you didn't finish school. Those are two things that are super interesting to me, and you've heard me, and I think you and I have chopped it up a little bit about, you know, the whole school thing, which we'll get into in a second. But talk to me about experience because I've got, you know, man, I don't even know how many super talented young 20 24 27 year old guys that don't have 10 years experience that i would send to the edwards demonstration center and my guess is run neck and neck with any of the guys that's got 10 20 years experience so i know that's a touchy subject for a lot of people what what are your thoughts there
1: um so it's a good question and and it's a valid point there are are people that up in a machine and they get it right away. I mean, it's, They have that bubble in their butt and they understand it. The reason we require 10 years experience minimum is because these are operator trainers and these large corporations uh, expect you to be able to, to walk the walk and talk the talk. And if we've got them doing loader grader training one day and then the next week they're doing wheel loader training and then they're doing excavator training, you've got to have some real world experience to, go out to other contractors and not you know, you're the cat guy and you're standing there telling them what to do. And if you can't do it, it doesn't go over very well. Yep. So that that broad experience is what we're looking for. There are phenomenal operators on one, two machines. We're looking for people that can run five or six machines and be efficient and fluent. You also have to be able to stand up in front of people and talk and teach and train. And it's a it's a hard breed to find it's a unicorn
0: well that's a lot but, harder i mean yeah, just, just being able to stand up in front of people and talk and give your opinions and thoughts and have people disagree with you in public that's i think that's just as hard as finding someone that's got good experience
1: well it's true it, it's harder <laughs> uh, because there's a there's a ton of phenomenal i mean there obviously you guys know there's hundreds of thousands of good operators out there but do they want to stand up in front of somebody? Do they want to travel? And you, you're this young 30, 35-year-old operator and you've got this guy with 35 years' experience. You're trying to tell him that he's not as efficient as he yeah. could be on the 992. And they look at you like, okay, boy, what are you going to do now? <laughs> well, And you've got to be able to show it to him. you got to be able to prove it. Right, right. Well, and
0: you're somebody that's been all over the world talking to operators. I mean, you know, I think if anybody has seen... Uh, operators with experience versus operators that are inexperienced. It's probably, you're, you're probably one of the best to have that conversation. What's to say 10 years of experience is the right kind of experience? You know, we see that all the time. We've got applications flying in every day, you know, 20 years experience. We take a, a shot on someone and turns out they have 20 years of really bad experience. Yep. It's either taught the wrong yeah. way or they've picked up the wrong habits or the wrong, you know, more than likely it's the wrong attitude, uh, which is which is tough to correct. But talk to me about that because you see everybody. Um, what's to say the experience they have is good or not so good?
1: Well, you hit the nail on the head. We have, just like you, resumes coming all over because there's three, three major demonstration centers in the world. There's the one at Edwards in Illinois. There's one. And down in Arizona, uh, Tanaha Hills, and we have one in Malaga, Spain, and we've got operators at all of those dem- demonstrator instructors, um, and we get a lot of resumes, and we've gone through a lot of interviews, and their resume looks really impressive, and you put them in the machine, and you're like, is this your first day running one or or not? And you're right, it, it could be a ring tr- wrong training, you know. We train by the what, uh, the manufacturer, Caterpillar. The way they've been doing it for years, that's the way we continue to train. And everyone's coachable. It's just how much time and investment can we spend to get somebody up to speed. And, mm-hmm. you know, one, kudos to you and, and you, and you talk about it all the time in the post, is is, is giving these young people opportunities. Because if they listen to you and they're willing to learn and work, you're going give to give them a try. And, and that's cool. And within the world of Caterpillar and the Demonstrator instructors, uh, we, we – kind of like to get people uh, to hit the ground running for the most part.
0: Yep. Well, so talk to me about if you had the chance to go back. I mean, you're, you're still a, a pretty young guy in the industry, uh, generally speaking, because there's a lot of older folks in the industry. Uh, if you could go back, you're 18 years old, you're thinking about secondary education, uh, you're thinking about the money that you could go make, uh, working union, non-union, whatever, uh, out in the industry, operating equipment, uh, labor, what, you know, working your way up to be a foreman project manager. What, what does Ryan Neal do as an 18 year old, knowing what you know now, if you have the opportunity to go, because it, people ask me all the time, especially young guys, man, what do, I'm 18 years old. What would you do if you're me? Uh, and my answer is probably similar to yours, but I w- I want to hear what, if you had the opportunity to go back, what are you, what are you doing? You going to college?
1: No, I wouldn't change a thing. Um, I, I'm super happy with my, where I'm at. I've had a lot of great opportunities. If you're that 18 year old kid and my oldest son is 18, he's a senior in high school and he's 18. And we're having this conversation right now. What are we going to do? What, what do you want to do?
0: That makes it real. And when you've got to give advice 100%. to your own yep. kid.
1: Yeah. Yep. And, and you know what? I'm not putting pressure on him to figure out what he wants to do. I, I, I didn't know. I mean, I was a, a dumb 18 year old senior that you know, we'll just would go have some fun and try to make some money. I don't know what I want to do. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that.
0: Well, and I, I think, you know, I've talked about this many times in the past. I think a lot of people expect me to say, you know, skip college. My answer is the same as yours. I wouldn't change anything. I, I went to college and went to Indiana state. I had a blast in college. I met my wife in college met some lifelong friends in college. Uh, I made memories that, uh, I mean, it was my, f- my best four years. Uh, hands down, the best four years of my life. And I've had three kids. I've, I've married my best friend. Those four years were the best four years of my life. But, man, I, I, um, I think p- so many people are thinking about it the wrong way. I, it's, it's super fun for me to tell the story of, of Jared, one of our younger operators, and several people like him who are making probably in a lot of cases double the amount of money that their teachers were making. Absolutely. By skipping college.
1: You just can't do it in cruise control. You talk about your 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 worker Jared. Uh, He didn't do it by being idle and just showing up and being basic. You really gotta work at it. You gotta excel. You have to want to be better. And it doesn't matter whether you're it doesn't matter what you do. You do that and you enjoy what you do Odds are you're going to be successful at it and the money will come maybe, but if you love what you do, I don't think it really matters so much.
0: It's so true. I mean, I think passion is probably the most underrated quality in any employee, uh, any employer that's looking for somebody. Uh, and I think anyone that goes on to be successful, the, the core of what they're doing is passion they're, they're passionate about whatever it is. If they're not, they're not going to work as hard. They're not going to work as long. Uh, they're not going to be able to stomach all of the ups and downs that whatever industry you're in, uh, you know, delivers you. I think, you know, specifically our industry, the construction mining, um, you know, industry is full of, of what I call mom and pop contractors, you know, contractors that are less than 100 million a year in revenue. Uh, and a lot of them that are less than 15 or 20 million a year in revenue, you know, it's oh, sure. It's not crazy to think you go spend four years in college having fun uh, and doing it in a safe, responsible way. I got to say that because I have kids now. <laughs> go have fun for four years, you know, meet your wife, meet some lifelong friends. You get out of school, you're 22, 23 years old. You're still a baby. You've got, a, you've got your whole life ahead of you. Go work for 10 years in an industry. Go grind it out for someone. Find someone who is a good mentor that can teach you what you don't know. Um, hopefully something that you're passionate about. Pour a ton of hours into it. And you look up, you're 33, 34, 35 years old. You're the next guy in line to take over that mom and pop's business. Maybe they don't have kids. Maybe they're looking for someone to take over the business. Maybe you're ready to start your own business if that's what you're into. Maybe you go work for a huge company like you did, and now you've got all this valuable, you know, real-world experience that you can take into a role. Um, it's it's just it's crazy how when you're 18 years old, and I'm sure you can think back and remember, when you're 18 years old, you, you feel like you have to have it all figured out. Yep. And you feel like you have to have a plan. And then when you graduate college, you feel like, man, this is this is my real life now and I got to go make an impact. And you just don't realize how patience plays such a big part in the bigger picture of, of career paths. I mean, for me, that was the case anyway.
1: I'd agree. I think, I think there's pressure on today's kids to have it figured out at a really early age and just the way the world is today. That's difficult. That's, but there are driven people that, like, I, I'm going to be a dentist. Right? You know, they know what they want to do. Other, and good. that's great. That's good for them because we need those people in the world. But there's a large majority of people that don't know. And uh, you, you just hit the nail on the head. You just take your time. If you do want to go to school, that is great. I mean, I, I'm sure you can name off 10 people right, right off the top of your head that have gone to college and don't use what they do for a living. One of my best friends went to school, for, and he, his degree is in psychology. And he's the vice president of a construction rental company. It has nothing to do with psychology. And
2: I, love that. You
1: know, I mean he doesn't use a lick of his college degree and but he's in the construction world. Has been since he got right out of college. Got an opportunity and he's been there ever since. And now he's the vice president of the company. So you are so work hard, figure out what you want to do. Yeah, I
0: mean, and, and, and you're obviously a talented guy. You, I think what, what makes you so cool is you've got a personality, and I, everyone that I've talked to that's, that's worked with you or been around uh, or you've come to their sites, you know, they always speak positive uh, things about you, and I think your personality is a big part of it. What you've came, obviously you came from the, the contractor side, uh, the smaller side. Now you're working at one of the largest organizations on the planet. What is attractive beyond just the cat logo, right? You've got half these people listening are cat Kool-Aid drinkers. They'll always ride or die with cat. They would never operate anything else. I know companies that literally only buy cat equipment. So beyond just the cat hype, what is it that keeps you, this is, this is interesting for me because I am so against uh, the big organizations, big companies, corp, you know, quote unquote corporate world, what is it that keeps you in your job, passionate about what you're doing, working for CAT? What, is there anything you can put your hand on? I mean, have you ever been tempted to go back to the contractor side or the, or the, or the small business side?
1: Early on, so it, it was scary. I, at 29 years old, I take this leap to leave what I'm pretty good at, running equipment, and I'm going to go work for this giant corporation and, and jump into the corporate world. It was, it was scary. to to say the least what i appreciate of what caterpillar does for people like myself and all the demonstrators instructors that work for them are you get an opportunity because they're all just like me they they ran equipment for a living they fed their families um, they're pretty good at it and you have an opportunity to be uh, a part of something pretty big and what i get to do at caterpillar and be so involved in the making of our new machines and our future machines and you know, how they, how they finally end up when you take them and you run them and you make money with it. And because I had a part of that, it's really, really rewarding. The good and the bad. And I, that's what keeps me doing it every day. When you get, it's just like anything, a lot of times you don't get the phone calls of how good you're doing. You, you get the phone calls of what's wrong.
0: I've never got a phone call of how good we're doing, by the way. Every, yeah. every phone call I get is about problems. <laughs>
1: Right. It, it, to see your, but when you're done at that job site and you've done well and you've paid all your guys and you've got some money in your pocket and now you're bidding all these other jobs, you've done a good job and it feels good and rewarding. For me, it's kind of the same way at CAT. Um, to, to be a part of, of, of a finished product and have your hands touched it five years before it's even gone to the customer's hands and they tell you that this machine is awesome. We love it. it, it it's really rewarding. It, it is a good feeling.
0: So I, I ask you that question because one of the things that I, I pride myself on and I think our company prides itself on is we are really good at stealing. And what I mean by that is we steal people. Uh, you know, it's, you can take some young people um, straight out of high school and they're fresh. They've never worked for anybody. So, you know, you're not really stealing them everybody else we're stealing from some other company, whether it's a big company. Uh, sometimes we steal from clients, which I hate to admit, and some clients have uh, made us sign contracts <laughs> that say we won't steal, but we're really good at stealing people. Uh, we've got this hype and this buzz, and, and you know we're good at making the people the hero of our stories, and we shout them out. We're obviously super active on social, and we're doing stuff like this, podcast and things like So I think they're it's, it's a little bit easier for us to steal folks than maybe other companies. What, and I, and I'm not saying I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here trying to steal Ryan Neal from Caterpillar, but what keeps, what keeps people from leaving Caterpillar being unstealable? How, you know, what, if, if I said, Hey Ryan, I'm, I want to steal you. You're awesome. Great personality, tons of awesome experience. We need someone to train our folks all over the world what keeps someone from stealing you? Are, are you a lifer for cat?
1: I can't predict the future. Um, we have people that leave and do exactly what you just said. Uh, usually, what, what drives people to leave is the dollar bill. Yeah. You know, they get an opportunity to, and it's like, oh, this is a bunch more money. I'm going to go do it. So, it's not a culture. A lot thing. of times, what happens is, oh, well, no, it is. I mean, it's not for everybody. Some people are just looking for the next move up and the next dollar. Um, I truly, the job role I have today was the job that I wanted three years into Caterpillar. It was where I wanted to go. It was where I wanted to be. It was my career aspiration. I've, I've, I'm there, and I love it, and, and that keeps me there. Um, Cat gave me an opportunity as a young 29-year-old guy without a degree to have an awesome job. They give you the opportunities. If you have the experience and and you can make things happen, you certainly can have a fantastic career. And whether that's for John Deere or Volvo or, I mean, we've got operators that have left us and went to come out to, or guys that come from Deere and come to Cat doing the same thing. And there's people that move around, but I'm comfortable where I'm at. I like what I do. It's very rewarding. Maybe the day that I don't feel that anymore, maybe the day that, uh, I look somewhere else, but it's, it's a good company. Uh, they take care of us. But, you know, I, I don't have a lot of complaints. I well, will say it's almost been 14 years and I do enjoy everything I've done all that time. And that's the biggest thing is I, I, still pinch myself thinking that I actually really like what I do. Well, and that's and rare. That's, I think for a lot long of people I still feel that way, that's where I want to stay. You oh know, yeah, it is. 14 it is,
0: years sure. at, especially these days, uh, you know, living in a big corporation, uh, Obviously doing something right, because, you know, a lot of the folks that were able to steal from the larger corporations, most of them don't come over here for the money. I mean, we, we honestly, we can't always afford to to match or beat some of the the people, the, the companies that we're stealing people from. Uh, a lot of the folks come over here and they say, man, it's a culture thing. Um, the, sure. the big corporate world, the culture's screwed up. Uh, they don't treat their people the right way. They, they don't make People, the hero of the story, and I want to come to Turner because of that. And it sounds like that's not the thing with Cat, because I mean, we're going to get into some questions here in a little bit, and I think one of one of the ones I, I peeked at before the show, uh, somebody asked, you know, what ha, if if Volvo or Deer or Komatsu or someone tried to steal some Cat people, what keeps them at Cat? You know, I think from an outsider's perspective, half of it's just the brand, the logo. But the other half is, you know, is the culture thing right? Sounds like it is. Sounds like you enjoy it.
1: I do, yeah. And, it, you know, through social media, people see how, how your employees are treated. They see that you give people a chance. And um, I think the right culture will stem a lot of good productivity out of your employees. And if it's a bad culture, you're going to get what you get, and you're going to get grouchy people who are only going to do the bare minimum to just receive that paycheck and it's on what expectations you have in your career and what you want to do. And uh, you know, I, I'm very fortunate and very blessed. I really like what I do. Uh, if I was working for John Deere or Volvo, I mean, I, 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 very well could be saying the same thing. It's just, this was the opportunity I had and I really enjoy it and I'm really happy where I'm at.
0: Well, I, I promised Thomas that I was not going to get us in trouble with our Volvo and John Deere and (laughs) Komatsu people on this podcast. So I'm going to keep it, I'm going to keep it above the cusp, but you know, we'll get into a little bit of uh, equipment stuff. I know we've got a bunch of questions here from uh, all kinds of viewers and listeners that, you know, want to pick your brain as the cat guy and as the excavator guy, there's, there's kind of the debate out there, you know, obviously we run a lot of Volvo uh, the new Volvo 750 excavators all over the place, and we run a lot of Cat 374s. And there's there's the the debate, you know, Cat 374 versus Volvo 750. We won't put you on the spot and and make you defend your machines. I think they're pretty e- easy to defend anyway. Uh, you know, but but talk to me just about machines in general. I mean, I think one of the one of the reasons why people buy Cat is because of the logo. I said that before. I think resale is a huge part of it. We see that all the time. We rent yep. a lot of machines. We we lease from all the OEMs, and then we buy. Uh, and I'll be honest, we haven't bought, we haven't purchased any non-cat machines. Yep. I don't think anybody knows that. Um, and it's not because I'm a huge cat fan. You know, I, I think you and I talked about this before. I think of all these machines as yep. spoons and forks. Um, and I actually want one of our marketing folks to design a sweatshirt that's got a an excavator with a big fork instead of a bucket <laughs> it's just a fork because these things are just tools right i mean they just they're just they're just tools um but we've only purchased cat machines uh a lot of them have been dozers d8s and 374s and and i think um the resales there uh i think the supports there but for me and i think for a lot of contractors listening to this my hope anyway is that they're not buying machines, whether they're cat, Volvo, deer, doesn't matter. They're not buying them because of the machine. They're not buying them because of the features. I know Con Expo's coming up. Volvo's going to have some new stuff there. I know you guys are going to have some new stuff there. You've already told me we can't talk about it, so I'm not going to ask. I I hope <laughs> that people aren't buying machines these days because of the features. My, my real hope is that people are buying machines because of the relationships with the people who are taking care of the machines. How much... How much do you see of that? How much do dealers play into Caterpillar's ability to sell and place machines on job sites?
1: They're the tip of the spear. If we don't have a good dealer network, then we're not we're not winning. I mean, that hands down, it comes down. We have to provide a good product, uh, whether it's the benefits and features that the customer needs, the productivity, the fuel savings, uh, the safety features, all those things. The salesman has to be able to sell it. The dealership has to be able to support it. But if they can't do that, then we're not winning. And and it comes down to, we, we are probably the largest manufacturer of equipment in the world. And it's, it comes down to because we have great salesmen and a great dealer network. And if we didn't, we wouldn't be number one.
0: I, I could and not as, agree more. <laughs> yeah. I Someone said, and I'm sure a lot of people have said, you know, the salesman sells the first tractor and then, you know, the service guys sell all the rest after that. Uh, for us, I mean, maybe maybe there's some truth to that. For us, every time we go into a new area, because we're, we, we are going into new areas almost weekly, different states, different regions, new dealers, uh, we're, we're calling around. We're not just calling Cat. We're calling Volvo and Deer and Komatsu, and we're calling people to interact with all these folks. And before we ever rent the first machine, and, and sp- especially before we lease or buy a machine, we're having real candid conversations with the people that are going to support this stuff. And, you know, there's been several cases where, uh, I know, you know, we're, we're working in an area, uh, and I am not going to put anybody on blast We're working in an area where there's two cat dealers and we're working smack dab in the middle of where their regions overlap. And we had long conversations with both cat dealers And it was clear it was going to be cat at this point because Volvo doesn't have a great presence there, nor deer, uh, nor Komatsu. Uh, But we ended up going with the dealer who a majority of our sites were going to be out of territory for them because we got that kind of warm and fuzzy feeling from the dealer. Uh, And it just makes all the difference. I mean, when machines go down, and especially this day and age when a lot of folks are busy, uh, but they're still you know, work's being quoted a lot of places with pretty tight margins. I mean, everyone's fighting over labor. Uh, all the machines are going up in price uh, because of the new features and so on and so forth. To me, it really comes down to uh, availability and equipment utilization. And if, we, if we've got machines on site that aren't running, it absolutely kills us. It kills our margin profile. It kills how we've set the job up. Uh, it kills us on the people side because now you got people standing around with nothing to do because their machine's not running. Um, for me, in our business, probably, probably the top one or two most important aspects or variables of how we run our business is the equipment dealer and the service department.
1: Yeah, and we don't win unless we have, uh, unless that's good for us. And we, like I said, we have to give a good product. And I'm not, I'm not an idiot. I'm not dumb. I ran John Deere excavators almost my entire career before I came to CAT. I know what's good. I know what's bad. I know where we win. I know where we don't win. Um, no one gets better unless we keep pushing each other. You know, the, the Volvo 750 is a good machine. We know it is. <laughs> Our engineers are, are, you know, their ears are perks and they're listening. Uh, but that's what that's the good thing about it is it we drive each other to get better you know one of the most fun things we do is like at con expo or when i was at balma last year is you get some of these equipment manufacturers I'll, I'll, I'll be as politically correct as i can uh you know they're they're under the machines and they're taking pictures of bolts and you know they're just crawling over the machine and it's it's somewhat annoying but we're going to go Talk to the other guys, and and what we found, we go to John Deere booth, the Komatsu booth. You walk up, you introduce yourself to who you are and what you do, and I'll tell you what, you get a lot of good uh, feedback out of them, and and that's the kind of stuff that it just keeps making the construction world better, uh, because you're driving to build better machines to make more money for you guys. Your owning and operating cost is huge. Downtime is never a good thing, especially in a production-oriented company like you have. Uh, you can't have downtime.
0: Well and and, and and really the machine price and and the owning slash operating cost of the machine doesn't matter a bit if the machine is down. You know, when when you've oh, got sure. when you've got companies that especially, you know, and, and, and war we're, we're gonna have some guys on the show uh, later that are running companies that may run uh, a lesser brand, uh, machine because they've got a relationship with the guy at the, at the dealer, who, at the dealership who sold them the machine. He knows he can call the service guy and get someone out there to fix that machine that day where maybe, maybe Absolutely. the cat three doesn't go down as much as, uh, you know, the Volvo machine, whatever. Uh, but it's all about availability and how much am I going to actually be able to run this thing?
1: Yeah. And, and that, you know, <laughs> the availability is always a, it's always a question we get is, well, I can't, you know, the conversations that some of the questions of availability of mass X six, <laughs> mass X three sets of course availability is always going to be an issue. And, you know, it's, it's difficult for everybody, you know, how much inventory do you leave sitting on the ground? That's just costing money that's depreciating. And, you know, it's, Availability is a tricky thing. And, well, and you, you, it comes down to the, the dealer knowing what their customers need. And if the dealers have Mass X, you know, their territory has 374s, 390s, and they have MassX or even 352s, it's it just they've got to be able to provide that. And, and they, they kind of ring the bell for us Say, hey, there's going to be an uptick in this. And we talk to our product group, and uh, hopefully the goal is to have some inventory around that, we, that we're able to provide that. It, it doesn't always happen. When you talk about the volumes that, of excavators that go out, uh, it, it's staggering when you think about it. And to keep parts and availability and uh, configurations that aren't as common to keep those available is it, tricky.
0: Well, I know you caught a lot of uh, flack over Mass X machines on, on social last <laughs> night, along with several <laughs> other uh, cat brand loyalists. Uh, and you guys kind of got beat up a little bit but I think most people don't realize man where companies aren't buying machines to take pictures and post on the gram right like yeah sure the mass x right. 374s look cool uh but how many are actually out there being sold you know how many are being rented most people aren't hogging dirt all day every day that need a mass X boom and a mass X stick and a seven yep. yard but you know it's just it's it's not practical resale isn't practical uh and so there's just not a ton of them uh most most people in in the social world don't understand that so uh but i know we've got we've got a bunch of questions i want to get to some of them because i think some of them are cool again i i'm kind of shocked you don't have a cat um attorney on on the line with you to make sure you don't say anything wrong (laughs) i I
2: think we've behaved pretty well today
0: we we have i've i've i promise i I do
1: do this for a living I do. I promise. When we do press releases, I have to, I have to have my caterpillar hat on, and I'm, I know what to say and what I can't say.
0: Well, and and uh, I, you know, I was bummed a few weeks ago. We sent you one of our, you know, one of our best operators, and uh, he got to test out some new top secret equipment, and he came back, and I had all these questions for him. He's like, "Man, I'm sworn to secrecy. I can't say anything." All I can tell you <laughs> is I tried to break every single one of their machines. So, <laughs> um, I, I, how did that whole thing? We go? got his
1: credit card number. I we got that. his credit card number and social security number. We know where he lives. I love that. Well, that's my no, credit card, so please do not charge it. Yes, oh. please, don't. please don't. Okay, all right. No, that's now, awesome. Now, those are the things that we do. Um, is we don't get better unless we get real world feedback, and you know, in order to, to to give you guys the right product before machines are launched, uh, we bring in uh, operators from all over my territory of North America, uh, Canada, and United States, and they run it through its paces, and we take that feedback in. We take a lot of notes, and all that information goes back to the product group. And, um, if there's an overlying issue and everybody picks it out, that's certainly obviously something we need to work on. And uh, it, 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 it's, it's true feedback. I let all those guys know. What, please don't say, I wish I would have told them that a week later, because if the machine is the way it is and you said it's great and it shows up on your job site and you think, man, I wish I would have told them something different, we need to know that stuff. And uh, did Travis break it, anything? It's really he, valuable feedback.
0: When Travis got there, did he break any of your new top secret toys?
1: Not the top secret
0: ones. <laughs> just, just uh, Well, <laughs> just, a, just, the just the regular stuff. Just the regular. If there's stuff. anyone in our <laughs> company, really, probably anyone in the industry that's going to break something, it's that guy. Yeah. So I was a li- when when you asked for someone, he came to mind. I thought, oh, if someone's going to break something, it's him. So. Yeah. So Thomas, let's tell you, get. There
1: t- was not a lack of conversation
0: <laughs> with with him. There never is, and usually it's it's him screaming no. and waving his hands from the machine, <laughs> telling you what's wrong with it.
1: Uh, no, it went well. We appreciated the feedback. Good,
0: awesome.
2: Hey Ryan, so obviously you uh, Keaton hit on this, and you, and obviously you've seen probably more operators than than most. How much do you think it is being taught versus how much is it natural ability?
1: That is a really good question. I don't want to sound arrogant, arrogant at all, but I kind of had a natural thing for running excavators and seeing grade and feeling great, and I caught on at a young age. But I also watched the older guys you know, ask questions. You know, hey, why do you have your I, – I, to this day, I remember one of the first questions I asked, the guy had his sprockets in the back of the excavator. I said, why do you have that there? They gave me about 10 great reasons, and they all make sense. And it's what Caterpillar teaches today. I guarantee John Deere and Volvo. Um, So some of it's natural, and some of it is taught as well. Um, There are guys out there that have been running equipment for 25 years, and all they want to do is sit in a compactor, which is fine. If they don't don't want to cut grade or run a motor grader, that's totally fine. We need those guys too. And those guys sometimes just don't have that natural – Bubble in them to feel grade and see grade, and and that's okay. Um, there's always a place for them. But the guys that excel are usually I would call the utility operators, the guy that's wicked good on an excavator. And then you get a rain day, and you need to send him to uh, the batch plant to work, uh, build a uh, concrete batch plant, or or whatever the scenario is. You know, a track loader, backfill. It, I think those are the valuable operators because. I was one of those, and it kept you busy all year. I live in Illinois, and you guys same weather there in Indiana. Winter's hard, and rain a lot, and you just you never know if you're going to work. And if you stay useful, um, you're going to keep busy. But I kind of sidetracked there. Uh, it, it's a it's a it's a double edged sword. I think there's great training to be had, and there's also natural ability. Yeah, I think from, from uh, point one specifically.
0: I, I agree, Ryan. I, I think at least from my perspective, natural talent is 90% of it. Uh, You know, we, we hire a lot of uh, different walks of people, guys that have got a lot of really good experience and guys that have never done anything. Um, It's, it's crazy when you see a guy who have, who's never run equipment jump into something and two days later is loading trucks in 45 seconds, you know, you know, as, As good as anyone can load a truck. And it's just natural ability. We, you know, our recruiter, she makes a point to go find kids that grew up on dirt bikes. Um, They just, they just have 99 times out of a hundred. If a dude can ride a wheelie down the street on a dirt bike, (laughs) guarantee you he's going to be a better operator than a guy that can't. And the same thing for video games. I know a lot of people have hated on video games. You know, I, I kind of grew up with them, with Mario and, and even PlayStation later on. You know, some of these people, their hand-eye coordination just from a young age, they've been developing it their whole lives and they can jump in something. And it's just a big video game. It's real life. You know, uh, you're going to knock the tailgate off of a truck if you're not careful. Uh, and, and we've had people do that also. But... I just think natural ability, natural talent. It's it's real hard to train someone that naturally just can't get it. Um, we you know we've had folks uh, that you send them out into the desert. We've we've had some projects out. You Send them out in the desert, let them figure it out for a day or two, and they get it and they're really good. Other folks, you can train with them for three weeks. We've got a we've got a training program, and a lot of our guys, you know, they're training full time. And they'll tell us, man, it's been two weeks. This person's never going to get it. Yep. You know, (laughs) what
1: else you got, Thomas? For sure.
2: Go ahead, Ryan. You're going to say something.
1: I was just going to talk about, you know, the younger kids and it's inevitable what's happening. You guys see it in your machines today. We're producing machine technology. Uh, The young kids get it. Uh, They can jump in our next gen excavators and go through that touchscreen monitor and buzz through it pretty easy. And that, that younger generation of kids out there today, uh, that's, you know, I don't want to say we're building it for them, but we we have to be forward thinking like that. It's a shortage of everything, of every trade. And, you know, how can we make it easier for them? And if we want to attract younger kids to get into the construction world, we got to be able to give them tools uh, to do that. And I think part of that is having that technology machine. The young kids get it pretty quick.
2: We We actually had a question around that, Ryan, which was like, when you're thinking about trade-off decisions and kind of prioritizing the operator, right. And even you're talking about kind of the next generation operator versus cost for the business owner, you know, in your product development life cycle, like how are you guys thinking about
1: that? So repeat that for me you would, please.
2: So it, it, it's really about the trade-off between kind of all the things you can put in the machine, right. Um, whether that's new tech, extra operator comforts, things that make it easier, all of that, trading that off with, obviously there's a cost associated with every single one of those things, right? And so there are market price points yeah. that kind of are out there that business owners, contractors really expect and, and kind of have come to expect. And And how do you guys think about trading off between kind of adding that extra stuff versus kind of designing the machine the business owner wants?
1: Sure. No, that's, that's a great question. So the way I look at it, because I look at it from, I still look at it from an operator's eyes, a comfortable operator is a more productive, happier operator. If you're giving them a machine that has, I mean, for instance, the size of the cab, you know, do they have some of the creature comforts? They're going to spend nine, 10, 12 hours a day in that machine. Um, let's give them some of the amenities that are going to make them comfortable. And if they're happy in that cab, they're going to be more productive. They're not going to be screaming because everything's vibrating in this cab and it's driving them nuts and there is that fine line of how much can we put in the machines to not drive costs for the trade-off and and what do you guys really need that's not overboard but you're requiring it and we work really hard and I guarantee all the other equipment manufacturers do the same thing Um, but we work hard to try to find the fine line of that of giving them what they need to make them productive, if they need technology, how easy can they put technology on that machine? How fast can they be up and running using 3D on an excavator? Or do they not need it? You know, if you're you plus or minus two foot, you don't really need great control, and it's it's just what does the customer need and how easy can we make it happen for them?
2: Um, obviously, there's a ton of tech uh, coming in uh, to all of this equipment. You know, if, if there's anything that you think is missing out there. Uh, or that you'd like to see kind of put into, whether it's next gen machines or even current machines, but but the, the piece that you think is missing the most.
1: Well, there's two things. Um, we're getting there as far as the technology, and, I, and I'm going to speak to excavators specifically. Uh, 3D GPS machine guidance has been out for a long time on dozers and motor graders, and it's just kind of, I think it's just, and it now feels like it because we see it on social media, but. A lot of the contractors are scared to put this technology on excavators. And I think they just have gotta trust it. And we always hear, well I want to work for my application. Well, I could probably come up with ten reasons that it would. And so I think contractors are getting I mean, look at look at uh Ryan from Rock Structure, Ryan Goodfellow. Guy's a huge advocate of uh using gray control on his excavation. Yeah, he runs the yellow color machine, but it's not about the machine right now, it's about Trusting the technology. I can think of so many times in specific scenarios when I was running equipment of where I could have used gray control 3D and trusting trusting the technology. And then also, how easy is it for the operator to use? If I have to push too many buttons, they're not going to use it. If they have to go in there and do 10 things to get the thing to turn on work, they're not going to use it. And I wouldn't really either. Yep. And so giving them the, the proper tool to make it easy, to make them productive, and that they're going to trust it. I think that's that's where we're going. And along those lines, um, I met a lot of these social media guys at Trimble Dimensions last year, or two years ago. And I've been going to there to Trimble Dimensions for a long time. It's a users conference for Trimble customers. And two Trimble Dimensions ago, uh, we had our first 323F with our first like we call it uh, our assist function where you just stick in and the machine stays all great for you. Uh, It was very early and there was maybe six or seven other excavators there that Trimble had put some equipment on other manufacturers. The one that we went to two years ago was a huge indicator. As we're going to Las Vegas, we come up over the hill to the offsite and you see 30 different excavators, all shapes and sizes with this technology on it. It was a, the light turned on. It's like we We've got to get good at this. We've got to get on board. We've got to get them a product because people are starting to see it, and you see it today. You see it on social media, and we're implementing it into our machines with standard grade control features and all all those things. Um, It's coming, and it's coming like a freight train, really, which is awesome to see.
0: Ryan, we're going to be cognizant of your time because I know we've spent a lot of time. You and I, we could talk about stuff like this all day. (laughs) I'd love to. Unfortunately, we (laughs) could. I got other stuff to do today, and I know you do too. You're busy. I got a question for you though. It's something I've always kind of wondered. You working for the monstrosity of a company that you are, and being so uh, interactive on social media, how how often do you get your hand slapped? Was something you post, something well, you say, a comment you leave? Have you learned your lesson, or what? You know, is that a thing?
1: Oh, it's definitely a thing. Um, no, I, no, I like. I haven't gotten my hand slapped, um, but I do. I mean it. it I'm not as near as a public figure as you guys are, but because I do work for Big Yellow, I, I have got to bite my tongue a lot. And there's times that you get on your site or off the EarthMover site, and these people are talking about, and I'm probably going to get myself in trouble here with this one, Is you know, they, they talk about how they don't need GPS. That's for the, the bad operators. They don't need it. They're all better than that. Well, I, I, it just makes me laugh because... I want to get on there and just rant about how it makes a good operator, a better operator, how to make the best operator of absolute ninja and how they can utilize it. And I, I I'd, I'd get myself in trouble if I went too uh, over the board with that, if I put it down in writing, which I just put it here where this is recorded. So we've got that going for me, but um, yep, yeah, I, I, I do have to be careful, but that's okay. Uh, it's Part of what I do, but we do public press releases, and it's the same scenario. You know, you just have to be careful what you say, and we get trained for it, and I've been doing it long enough that you know what you can and can't do.
0: Yeah. One of the cool things about you and why I wanted to have you on, you're just you're a real dude. I know you're limited to what you can say uh, because who you represent, and I, and I, I get that. Uh, but it's fun to talk with real dudes who have kind of lived it, been there, done it. Uh, and I know we got a lot more cool stuff coming up. I can't wait for Con Expo. Uh, can't wait to chop it up there and see what Cats got to showcase because I think there uh, or I know there's going to be some really cool new fun stuff. So
2: absolutely, thanks, Ryan. It's been yeah, uh, it'll be fun. It's been killer to have you on, man. Seriously, awesome.
1: Yeah, I appreciate it, guys. Uh, You guys are doing a killer job. It's, this whole social media thing is is pretty cool for construction for guys like us. I agree.
0: Couldn't agree more. Thanks so much for coming on, brother. Enjoyed it. We'll do it again soon.
1: You bet, guys. We'll see you in March, not before.
2: Awesome. Thanks, man.
0: Hey, guys. Thanks for listening. Hope you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast. This is a new thing for us, so leave a review. Give us your thoughts. If you haven't already, tell a friend.